Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are. However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and tonight's guest, live in studio, Weston Williams. More about him in one second. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. Now, you want your voice heard, right? 847 847- 866-WNUR is our number in studio. Hey, what's your take on what we're talking about tonight? Call us on air, 847-866-9687. All right, tonight, he spent the better part of the last decade trying to blend in with opera and classical music professionals across the U.S., Despite his distinct lack of professional training in singing, musicianship, or composition, in college he shirked his studies in theater and philosophy in order to write, produce, and engineer and host his own opera radio show. He's had brief stints as a journalist for WBHM in Birmingham, Alabama, and as a writer for the Christian Science Monitor. Weston Williams joins us to talk all things opera-related. At 9.20 p.m., Oliver goes inside the huddle with soprano Janai Brueger, who is currently singing the role of Liu in Puccini's Turandot at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And then it's the two-minute drill. You get all your opera headlines from the past week and our hot takes on them. That's at 9.40 p.m. we got a great show for you tonight. Oliver, Happy New Year. That's what you should have said to our audience at first. Happy New Year, everybody. Well, you can do it, dude. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, did you stay up for midnight on uh, New Year's Eve? Yeah, of course. Okay, I, just some people don't. So I. I well, know. I'm I'm still in my 40s, and I think that I can handle it for a couple more years. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, my wife doesn't stay up, so I just that just I'm surprised. But she did stay up this year, which was nice. Weston Williams, did you stay up for New Year's Eve? I stayed all the way up. I was <laughs> super conscious the whole time. It was a good nice. time. I enjoyed it. What time did you go to sleep? Oh. God. Twelve oh one. Hit the sack. I was gone. It was good. It was a good way to start the year. I think it's good. Uh, hey, let's get the uh, the sports talk out of the way. Yeah, please. Right away. Um, Bears hire time, a new uh, head coach today, who is all of thirty nine years old. Mm. Oh. Still dateable. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's also the college national championship tonight. Weston, yeah, of course, is. being from Alabama, this must be. Uh, plaguing you this evening roll tide right roll tide go ahead and say it uh i am a little bit concerned because i'm looking at the uh the score happening oh my goodness look at that it's not looking very good at the moment 13 zip georgia my mother will be very displeased but uh they still got time to pull it around i feel pretty good there's lots of time i'm just i'm bored of alabama winning everything 
<laughs> we do win all the time, no matter what we do. It's very true. We yeah. haven't talked about the Olympics yet. I mean, well, I guess we have a couple more episodes before we really need to delve in, but, you know. Oh, let's, let's the, save. The figure skating teams have been chosen. <laughs> That's what our audience wants to hear about. Spandex. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> know your audience, George. <laughs> I d- we got lots of different audiences on this show, dude. All right? Hey, let's oh talk God, some don't more. Ever <laughs> don't ever call a gay guy dude. Chalk talk. <laughs> On Opera Box Score. <laughs> Sorry, Norm. We were laughing over you there. <laughs> Thanks, Norm. Um, oh my goodness. There, there's so much to talk about with Weston, but we're going to pick two big s- stories, two big halves for this segment. It's Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. Just before we dive in, um, can we just talk, Weston, a little bit about uh, your previous experience talking about opera? Since oh, you're yeah, new to absolutely. our audience. Um, well, uh, one of the things I did as a student in my alma mater, Principia College, which is about an hour and a half out of the middle of nowhere, uh, what I did was uh, I, I got in a studio, kind of locked myself in there, and uh, for an hour every week for about uh, two years, I just talked about opera extemporaneously to whoever would, would listen, and it was a good time. And how long have you been in Chicago? I've only been in Chicago for about a year and a half. Okay. I am brand new. I, 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 I know where Rogers Park is. I found Evanston today. Nice. That was an adventure. And how have you been enjoying the opera scene here in Chicago? Chamber oh, operas, big operas, stuff in between. Uh, there is so much good stuff. Uh, one of the problems with being from, uh, from Alabama is that the selection is not quite the same as it is in Chicago. The, the the third coast, the big city with all the opera companies. Well, you've got you've got Atlanta Opera, right? Yeah, well, that, that's a, that's about two hours away. That was the one I went to as a kid. I, I drove. That was my bonding time with me and my dad. Instead of throwing the football around, we right. would uh, we would uh, drive out and uh, see an opera for the day. Come back, uh, tell my little brother all the awesome stuff he missed, and Love then uh, and then we had to start dragging him along when he got old enough, which was that's a real great. bummer. Love I thought it. Shout out to my we brother. used to instead of throwing the ball around, you throw threw a counter tenor around. <laughs> They're about the same weight, you know. (laughs) So, um, lots of things happened since our last episode. Um, James Levine is still uh, (laughs) not working anymore. Mm -mm. But another conductor went down, like right before we signed off for the year. Um, Charles Dutois, 81 years old, Mm -hmm. several Mm -hmm. accusations, including Sylvie McNair. And there's some of this, I think this story came out on December 21st. Uh, there were some kind of lewd descriptions uh, from the AP, like he used to, you know, stand very close to these singers and stick his tongues on their mouths. And in one case, he forced the, uh, you know, the victim to put their hands in his pants. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. Why do men do these things? What's wrong with you? I mean, why aren't you asking me to do these things, first of all? Yeah, Oliver is like ready, willing, and able. I know. Just give me a <laughs> well, career. Yeah. Ready and willing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, just the accusations for Dutois just kept piling up. You know, whatever stream you were following, whether it was Slip Disc, whether it was a legitimate news source, it just, they kept on stacking up. And you kind of, I wonder, like, when's it going to, when's it going to end? Uh, well, with Dutois, who knows? But uh, I, I think we're still kind of in the early days of these sorts of things coming to the light. Reckoning. Yeah. yeah, especially for classical music. You know, it, it does. It is a little overdue for that kind of yeah. thing. And uh, Oprah Winfrey has given permission to everybody now to just come out and tell your story. Yeah. I mean, who's Oprah's the Who's the equivalent of Oprah Winfrey in the opera world? 
That's a good I guess maybe question. it's like Joycey Donato at this moment. You know? Yeah. She, yeah. Person, like, she's like the She's the home. Beyonce. Yeah. 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 yeah, she is. She's Queen B. She's it, Queen D. Yeah. They wouldn't have to be black, is what you're saying. No. I'm <laughs> no, saying, I'm like, serious. Who's I'm like the person make... that can really talk yeah. to the public and they'll listen and they just have so much faith in that person, you know? Hey, 847-866-WNUR. Let us, let's, seriously, let <laughs> us know. the Oprah of opera? <laughs> I, I, man, I would love to hear that phone call. Yeah. Me too. Related to uh, Dutois, and, and we'll, we'll cycle back to him, but there was a second conductor at the Met that was accused. So this was the conductor, Joseph Culinary, and the accusations against him were published in the New York Post kind of in the middle of December, and it was a single accusation. He had... It, the accusation was when he was on the faculty at the New School, and the New School did their own investigation and came to a conclusion that this was not accurate. Hmm. And the Post published a, well, I don't know, Oliver, I, I don't think you'd call it a retraction. Exactly. What did they say? What they said was this, was Metropolitan Opera Conductor Joseph Culinary has denied sexual misconduct allegations lodged against him by a woman who claimed she was harassed as a young apprentice and later reported in the New York Post, quote, truth and integrity are core values by which I live. The allegations which were made against me in the New York Post are categorically false and completely unfounded. This has been a devastating experience for me and for my family, end quote. And the Post added, since the Post reported them, numerous people have come forward to defend the maestro's integrity. I'll say that in the Facebook world, um, a lot of people know who the acu- accuser was okay. and discredit the accuser. Yeah. And yeah. I, have n- I mean, I'm not casting aspersions on, disper- aspersions? Aspersions. Aspersions. aspersions on anybody, Immersions. but um, it seems that there are more people coming out to defend uh, culinary than the, ac- the accuser. Well, this is the thing. I mean, Mike, Michael Rice said it on the show uh, last month. He said, we need to take the sponge to the window. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that metaphor, image. And I thought it was so true. I think what we're finding out now is like, you know, check your sources, be thorough. And if there's, if there's some problems, if there's intent, if there's proof, then like, Let's nail these guys. And look, they are all guys at this point. Has there been a woman accused of sexual harassment in the classical music world? Because that's what we're concerned about. Well, here. there's not enough women at the top positions in the that's classical true. music world. Yeah. So oh, my so. God. How pathetic is that, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, let's get these guys. And let's get rid of them. And let's run them out of town on a rail. But let's make sure that we're getting the right people. And I, I think we can all agree now from all these sources that have defended culinary that he's in he's in a different camp. Dutois, phew, seems like the writing's on the wall. Yeah. yeah, and like all the, you know, Boston Symphony, Chicago Symphony, the Met, what Met? I'm not sure. Or New York Phil, you know, they're all like, eh, no thanks. We're, we're, we'll just, you know, take our chance. <laughs> Chicago <laughs> Symphony, yeah. uh, was he not uh, with the Detroit Symphony? For a long time, I think he was. Yes, I, 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 he hmm. retired some years ago. Yeah. From Detroit, although recently gave like a million dollars for a new initiative in the Detroit Symphony for like uh, like ten thousand dollars over however many years. That's a hundred years, so it must have been more than ten thousand dollars. Maybe it's a hundred thousand dollars for ten years of supporting like one new emerging artist. <laughs> casts casts a bit of a, a, yeah, a shadow a in that as well. As you know? long as they're sopranos with. 
Soft hands. It's Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist with Oliver Camacho, our guest, Weston Williams. Weston, uh, we also wanted to talk about some new productions oh, yes. that have happened. And most recently, New Year's Eve, the new Tosca at the Met. Set it up for us, and we'll knock it down. All right. Well, well. Uh, first of all, I think the thing you should know about this production is that it was clearly cursed by Franco Zeffirelli himself. <laughs> because, uh, let me see, I think I'm not going to get this all in the right order, I'm pretty sure. But what happened was they, they got together, their crew, they had their conductor set up, they had, uh, they had the singers all ready to go, uh, and then uh, things start going wrong. They lose their conductor. He's replaced with James Levine, (laughs) who is uh, himself knocked down. Uh, uh, So they lose both of their conductors in fairly quick succession. But not only that, they also lose um, Jonas Kaufmann, who's going to sing the tenor role, uh, Christina Opelis. They lose Bryn Terfel. Uh, um, No, wait, do they lose uh, Opelis, or is she one once? I think she's the first person. Yeah, she she was the first one, uh, but they, they lost all three of them. Um, and uh, plus two conductors, which is uh, apparently, according to the article I read, unprecedented, <laughs> at least in recent memory, for this kind of crash and burn. And why did they lose the singers? We know why they lost Levine, and I'm not interested in the conductor. <laughs> well, there, there are various reasons. Uh, Jonas Kaufmann, I believe, wanted to uh, spend more time with his kids, okay. which makes sense. He's sure. always hopping around the place. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I think Opelé, Christine... I, I think that Opelé is burning out. That's my, from yeah, what I've she... seen, and I think she overcommitted to this production, or mm-hmm. to a lot of things, and she's starting to realize that she needs to, like, Take a break. Yeah, that's the sense that I got as well. There's some vocal trouble, and then Bryn, Bryn Turfel also uh, he needed he said he needed some vocal rest uh, from taking on uh, too much as well, uh, which is not a great triple combination, uh, w- especially when you're going through all of the PR disaster that the Met has been going through uh, since the James Levine incidents came to light. Yeah. Um, but however, they managed to put it on anyway. This was uh, last Sunday, I believe. Uh, they put it on New Year's um, Eve. I New Year's think. Eve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, big. Uh, <laughs> I would have seen it, but I fell asleep at twelve oh one. Missed the end. <laughs> Just this close. Okay, so she jumps off the. Mountain. No spoilers. Oh yeah. come on. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we all, all right. get to see it on January twenty seventh when it's broadcast uh, in HD. Yes, and I haven't seen it yet. But the 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 big thing that I've been seeing about it in my corners of the internet that I frequent, um, this production seems to have revived the age-old debate between the traditional and the modern productions. Because uh, this production is um, to repl- it was to replace the previous production, which came out in two thousand nine, which in turn replaced the Franco Zeffirelli production, which had been in place since the eighties. Yeah. So some people say that. This the production from two thousand nine, the Laurent Pelly, is that who was the Luke Bondi. Luke Bondi. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it rhymes. So, yeah, just <laughs> any French person. Um, that uh, you know, was one of Peter Gelb's first big missteps. Mm, yes, it um, was. It was. I, I remember seeing it when it first came out, and I, I, it was. It was pretty stark production. I didn't like it. Um, it was just severe and austere, right. and there's a certain type of audience that I mean, I might be one of them that wants to see like these classic operas done just decadent, especially at the lyric, just decadent, rich, <laughs> traditional. You know, just make it beautiful. You know, I think here's here's the debate coming up right now. Yeah, well, I, well, I, no, the, I mean the, the, the pendulum between Zeffirelli 
Bondi and McVicker is the pendulum between Republican and Democratic yeah. politics, <laughs> essentially. Is, that is, is McVicker it, Bernie Sanders? It's or? just going to go back and forth and back and forth. Here's, here's the problem. And, and Zachary Wolf in the New York Times totally nails it in this article. The link is on our website, operaboxscore.com. He quotes Gelb talking about the 2009 production. And Gelb says, I've learned my lesson, quote, when it comes to a classic piece of repertoire, beauty counts, and that's what the audience wants. Wolf goes on to say, but Mr. Gelb has learned the wrong lesson. The discouraging implication of the new Tosca is that when it comes to staging standard repertory works, modern is bad. If beauty is going to be his criterion, Mr. Gelb should be careful to ensure that his definition of what that word is remains expansive, encompassing more than just David McVigar's traditional-looking, scrupulously inoffensive Tosca. Yeah, it's 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 a problem. And, and uh, I, I read, uh, uh, j- just to kind of give you a sense of, like, how opulent it is, um, it's, it's, it's very much trying to recreate, you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be one of those things where at some point during the process they would have... Uh, they probably did. I don't know if they actually did, but they probably like took a picture uh, of the set and like took a picture of the actual building in Rome and was like, "Can you tell which is which?" <laughs> you know, it's totally. it's, it's a level. Uh, according to this article that I read, um, it says uh, to cre- recreate the gilded Baroque splendor of the Church of San Andrea della Valle, where the first act is set. The Mets artisans used 77 rolls of gold leaf. That's real gold leaf. That just seems a little bit. It feels like an overreaction to 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 the failure of the previous Tosca production, which I, I must admit I wasn't a big fan of the Tosca production. But having seen, you know, productions from like, uh, what is the environmental impact of throwing away the Luke Bondi? <laughs> <laughs> What's the environmental impact of building the Zeffirelli? That's yeah, what I, and yeah. then throwing that away. It, it's, you know, it, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's it's it, it's always so strange to me. It, with all, especially with these American companies, whenever they're like, oh, we're doing an edgy new um, opera production. And it's kind of, I always see it as kind of this middle of the road. Uh, sure, it's not set in the time period in which it was written, right. but it's it's not that far off from reality. Because, you know, if you look at, you know, productions from like German opera companies, like the Bavarian State Opera, mm-hmm. they'll go off the wall. It's it's not even the same scale. And I feel like... You just gave George a hard on, by the way. <laughs> Here's the point, is that there are lots of things in this world that are beautiful. And beautiful does not have to mean traditional. Beautiful exactly. does not have have to mean gold leaf. Wolf finishes by saying, quote, this was a retro night at the opera aimed at the Mets' conservative core. I mean, not that Gelb could have necessarily anticipated the Levine scandal, but surely what he needed to do was to change the narrative, as we would now say in this messed up political climate that we're in. He needed to change the, the narrative of the Met and have a successful, slightly vanilla, conservative New Year's Eve event where where not only did nothing go wrong, but everybody came back from disaster and, like, the show went on and there was drama in the cast and in the pit and it all was pulled off swimmingly. He needed a win. Mm-hmm. He needed a win so, and he did it with some conservative play calling. So, had, and I think Anna Dutropko was originally supposed to be in this production, or part of it, like in the second cast or something. But had Peter Gelb had his original way with this show, with having Turville, Kaufman, and Dutropko and Opelais, and a beautiful new production, and the most famous conductor the Mets ever had, um, it would have been a home run, you know? Um, but things don't work out the way you plan, you know? Tell no. me, man. Yeah, but that'd be the type of show 
that people would want, they, it, it could possibly sell out. If you had those stars aligned, you know, it could be like the only show of the season that, you know, an opera that everybody loves, a cast everybody wants to hear, you know. And it's that we got Sonia Yoncheva, they're trying to make a star out of her, she's fine. Victoria Gogolo, arguably, is the next great tenor. Um, they're young, they're beautiful, you know. <laughs> she's very beautiful. Not your type, Oliver. Drop huh? dead gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Weston, as a heterosexual, what do you think about Sonia Chapin? As, the, oh, oh as yeah. the only heterosexual in the don't room. Don't put the man on the spot, <laughs> Oliver. You don't. You don't have to answer that. Okay, okay I won't. By the way, hey, uh, if you have seen the show, let us know at Opera. If you are heterosexual and you Twitter. think Sonia Cheva is attractive, tweet at us. We'll, we'll yeah. put her pictures on the website. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, look, we got to take a short break. Afterwards, Oliver goes inside the huddle with soprano. Janai Brueger, who's currently singing the role of Liu in Puccini's Turned Out at Lyric Opera of Chicago. It's only an opera box score. America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George and Oliver. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. That's all you need to know. Apart from, it's George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Weston Williams hanging out with us tonight. Oh, what's yeah. then, what are you, what's your nickname? Do people call you the Double W? Oh, I wish. Okay. You can do it. Okay. I, that'll be my new thing. That'll be my radio name. <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with something better. <laughs> you don't like mine? <laughs> it's just a little off the cuff. I don't. I don't know. There's 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 a, a pun to be had, Oliver. Okay. Yeah, there's probably something in there. Um. Hey, Chennai Bruger. So the very you... first opera I ever worked on in Chicago, the abduction from the Seraglio at Chicago Opera Theater. She was in the chorus. And we don't know that's a fact yet. It's a, it's a fact. Okay. It's a fact. Well, Janai Brugger is a Chicago native and went to DePaul University. And so I sort of have, you know, some friends in common with her. And then all these amazing things happened to her. Um, she got into Marola Opera Program. She did the L.A. Opera Young Artist Program. She won the Met Competition and Operalia in the same year. She won all three categories of Operalia, um, the Audience Prize and the Zarzuela Prize. And then she met her, made her um, Met debut, singing the role of Liu. And she's finally come home to make her lyric opera debut in the second cast. Well, she's the only replacement, really, uh, in the current production of Turandot. Uh, um, I mean, she's not a replacement, right? Like She's the second cast, yeah. Exactly. Um, she's it was designed Maria to be split. Something or other. Yeah. And uh, with Amber Wagner. So, um, yeah, it's about time that the lyric, I'm not blaming them, but I mean, I'm so happy that she can finally make her big debut here uh, with a built-in audience that loves her, including myself. Uh, a little 
warning about the sound quality of this interview, um, Janai was really nice enough to let me interview her uh, in her apartment building, but we didn't have really a, a private space, and so you can hear a, a door opening and closing every now and then. I apologize in advance. I am so happy to be able to welcome um, Janai Brugger to Opera Box Score. I know you're here uh, preparing Liu and you go on. Your first is just on in a couple Wednesday, days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, how is it going right now with Liu at the, at the Lyric? At the Lyric? Well, I'll let you know on Tuesday <laughs> when I get there. <laughs> um, that's one of the interesting things about this is um, I'm coming in already towards the end of the run. So mm. I get... I get a run through on Tuesday and then jumping in Wednesday head on. Have you had musical rehearsals? No, mm -mm, I have not. But luckily, I did get to meet with the stage director, um, uh, assistant stage director David, and we got to go through the blocking and everything and and whatnot. But no, okay. it'll all be coming together. Well, the, the production is sort of like a. I don't want to say park and bark production, but it's, right. yeah, it, it doesn't, you don't have, there's not a lot of stage right, antics no. or something like right. that you have to learn. It's mainly just learning like my ins and outs, you know, amongst the, the choir, the chorus, <clears throat> you know, and navigating my way through that. So, yeah. So this Leo is a, a, sort of an important role for you because that's the same role as your Met debut. Yes. Do you re remember that? Oh God. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> yes. I was seven months pregnant when I made that debut at the Met as Leo. So there's a lot going through my head in that moment, but, um, I was led by such an amazing cast and, and supportive people that... Um, that who was the Turandot in that one? So, Turandot, ah, Maria Gulagina. Gulagina, yeah. Yes, yeah. Gulagina. She was wonderful. Um, I had... Uh, my Timur was um, James Morris, who okay. was just lovely. And, of course, Kalaf was the uh, amazing Italian tenor, uh, Marcello... Alvarez. Oh. No, Giordano. Oh, Marcello, yeah. yeah. Hello. <laughs> That's Marcello Alvarez and yeah. Marcello Giordano. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It was a great experience. Now that you've done Leo a couple of times, mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that you like maybe understand about the role or about the character uh, that's deepened your interpretation? Yeah, you know, trying to, because you don't get much of uh, backstory on Leo when you mm -hmm. first meet her. So you kind of just, you're wondering who is this woman who's just guiding some old man through yeah. a crowd. You know, you don't really know her or her story. Um, but, I, you know, I tried to create my own backdrop for her and just think that um, you know, she's probably led a hard life, uh, but she's very selfless. She gives of herself. Um, willing to help people she's very aware of her surroundings um and you know without ruining anything or spoiling anything you know in the third act where she really gets um her voice you know you really see the difference between her and Turandot and how they uh manage everything yeah I mean that last scene for Liu is so amazing I mean the Tanto More is so ethereal and so high and it like it, it feels like is. a different character and then on a dime the character changes yep. and becomes dramatic so, so resolute <laughs> and, and almost angry you know like yeah. So, yeah you know I've heard you sing to Katie Jell a couple of times now. <laughs> you know your tone in that aria is just so like penetrating and 
rich and, and still noble, you know. Thank you. Uh, when you did the Met Council auditions, which was in 2012, yeah. was that your one of your final arias? I know you sang um, Depuis le Jour. I did Depuis le Jour. Uh, I also did um, Pamina's aria, Ahichus. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get to sing Leo at the... But you offered it. But just, just... No, actually. Uh, what's interesting is my, my Met debut came as a result of the Met competition there. So Leo was uh, brought to me after the competition. I had okay. never heard of that opera or that role so can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the Met Council auditions and what it felt I mean mm-hmm. I remember was it Tomasini who wrote the article um, the next day mm. he was gushing <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh uh, well um, the experience I had just finished the uh, young artist program at Los Angeles Opera mm-hmm. the Domingo Thornton program and I was trying to decide what my next steps were in terms of you know completing the residency. So the next step that made sense to me was to enter major competitions because what's important about that is uh, it's it's kind of like a big audition for, for major companies and agents and whatnot. So I definitely knew I, I needed to do that and I was ready to do that. So um, I started in LA I, and I won that division and they're an amazing group, the Western Regional, um, they're actually coming to Chicago for my debut here oh, wow. at the Lyric. Nice. They're just wonderful, wonderful group of people. Um, it was super supportive. Everybody, even all the competitors, were just really um, supportive of one another and encouraging. It's nerve-wracking, of course, you know, but um, I felt very uh, um, welcomed and at ease. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the Met, you know, that was my first time ever stepping on that stage as well. <laughs> And that's for a competition. So you grow up as an opera singer hearing about the Metropolitan Opera House. And so you finally are there. It's a mind-boggling experience So to walk in there. Um, but the same thing, just greeted by so many wonderful, lovely people that knew that we were nervous and just tried to make us feel comfortable. You get to work with um, the conductor. And at the time for that was Sir Andrew uh, Davis, who oh, wow. was leading okay. the lyric. Yeah. So that was my first time meeting him as well. Um, and we got to have a one-on-one with him to run through our arias on our list before doing it with the piano and then, of course, with the orchestra for the, for the finals. Um, it's exciting. It's, yeah. You know, there's nothing to really quite describe walking out on, on stage and seeing a house full And of how people. did it feel, if you remember, to sing in the house for the first time? Did you feel like, were you testing it? Like, did you hear your sound come back? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think everybody wants to sing on that stage and you've done it now. Like, what is it really like? You know, like? if you want to be honest, right before I walked on, I didn't think I could do it. I was so, so nervous, but the stage manager was so, was so great. He's like, you just, he's like, you can do it. Just take a deep breath. And so I walked out there and, you know, I couldn't even feel my legs at this point. And I was, I remember telling myself to try to just take everything in and, um, and to enjoy the experience and be in the moment. And once Depuis Le Jour started, it's such a beautiful first chord. Uh, that's like, da-da. Yeah. It just kind of just whoosh, puts yeah. you at ease. And so I tried to just, you know, look up and look out and, and realize how lucky I was to be there in that moment and then and then just do the best that I could, you know. So yeah. it was, I think you did all right. <laughs> <laughs> luckily. <laughs> luckily, no, it was a great experience.
So this year, after you sing Liu, you have a year of Mozart. Mm -hmm. uh, you are preparing <laughs> Susanna for Palm Beach Opera. Yes. And then also down the road is an Ilia and a Servilia. Yeah. Have you done either of those? I've or done, any of these? No. So Susanna and uh, Servilia, Servilia are role debuts. Ilia is a role debut in that I've only done it in English, and that was at DePaul University when I was in wow. undergrad. So doing it now, and it's you know in Italian in its original language well it's it's new um, Mozart is it's a dear dear composer for me I love Mozart like I'm crazy about it and I'm so excited <laughs> I want to go hear these from you Yay! but um, do you have any like philosophy about singing Mozart in general like as a style mm. you know? <laughs> like your your tone quality is not one that I think people automatically think oh yeah Mozart, Mozart right? yeah. <laughs> you know I think sometimes it's a misconception you know there are a lot of Mozart roles like um, people kind of try to associate maybe with lighter voices, but it's not not necessarily the case at Bilal all. Bilalafreni sings Susanna yeah, forever. Exactly. You know, so. you know um, I think the more substance you have underneath it, uh, the better. I think I always say Mozart is kind of like my return to Jesus moment. You know, like if, yeah. you, if you get off technically a little bit, it's nice to go back to the basics. And I always find Mozart to be to be that for me. You know, like where I need to get my technique back in shape or or refigure things out. What do you think is it about Mozart that uh, helps to, you know, correct things in your voice? And like, mm -hmm. what is happening in that other repertoire? that needs to be corrected. When I sing something like Liu, uh, it's Puccini, so the orchestration tends to be really, really heavy, you know, really, really big. And um, subconsciously, you think that you're having to push maybe or, or to sing bigger, you know. It's, it's just kind of like an instinct sometimes when, when underneath you is so, it's so heavy. So you try to, it almost seems like you're matching that. With Mozart, for me, what helps is is that it helps me re, re remember my legato line. Definitely um, using consonants in the Italian language in German, you know, for what he's known for. But um, the flow between the vowels and the consonants, learning how to support um, underneath myself like <clears throat> properly. Do you mean to say that, like, when you're singing Puccini? you just are pouring out so much sound that you might be losing line or you might be... Sometimes, it's like, especially like a role like Liu, it's so emotional, everything mm -hmm. that she's saying, you know. And for me, you know, trying to not just sing, but to act it as well so mm -hmm. that people are understanding what... I am envisioning for this character in that moment. Sometimes I forget, like, oh, breathe low. You know, everything yeah. gets raised up a little bit. You know, you kind of lose yourself in that moment. And not that you don't get that with Mozart, but I feel like it's a little bit more reserved in some yeah. regard. Uh, well, the, the timing in Mozart, yeah. to me, is, like, so predictable. 
which yeah. is what makes it hard, but also yeah. helps you to organize your breath, you exactly. know? But whereas with Puccini, like, you just passion, and just you want to, like, pour lushness, yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense, you know? So it's like um, yoga, and you're, like, in a hard there pose. You go. But you just yes. have to breathe, you know? Breathe. Yeah. Back to the basics. <laughs> But after this year of Mozart, are there other things that you're you would like to sing? Like I don't know how you. I mean, if oh somebody's offered you a violetta yet, or <laughs> I have not done violetta yet. I would love to sing her one day for sure. Um, Gilda's another role I would be interested in, in exploring Adina. Um, I, I tend to stick a lot to the lighter soprano repertoire, although my voice has color to it. It's not super big, you know. So um, I still think I have time for those for those other roles. And I would love to do The Countess one day as well. Oh, I, I you think know. that's so up your alley. I mean, <laughs> or me, me down yeah. the road, you know, so. Since you do have such a distinct and, I'll say, beautiful tone. Thank you. Is that something you had to work on when you were developing your technique? Definitely. I mean, and also, you know, our whole body is our instrument. So changes, you know, throughout throughout the years definitely affect how I sing. My pregnancy even changed my voice dramatically. Um, it, it definitely got a little bit bigger and then a lot darker after having my son, so that affected everything as well. But um, I think when I started, I was singing a lot more higher repertoire. I didn't have a middle at all, to be honest. Um, I desperately wanted to be a mezzo. I was begging my teacher at DePaul to let me be a mezzo because uh, I, I just loved the... Um, the middle voice, but I didn't have much of it. So I really had to work on that, and that came a lot later. And now one might say you're known for <laughs> the, the quality of your middle voice. What does it mean to work on the middle voice? Well, my, my voice teacher is Elsa Charleston, um, who I love and admire so much at DePaul University, and she was adamant that I learn my technique through the song repertoire. So I didn't sing my first aria until my junior year which I am grateful for because it really um, made me focus on, on the technique and not trying to sing all these amazing arias that are out there and, and creating bad habits. So I did, I think one of the first ones was Gretchen Am Spilvada. Yeah. So it's lower. Yeah. And I remember her having me lay on the floor um, yeah. just to feel the expansion of my back, really engaging you know, my breath and, and getting this line. And I had to work on that for weeks. It, you know, it was, it was brutal sometimes yeah. <laughs> until I got it. But yeah, um, that was one of them. And a couple of Mozart um, songs as well. Yeah. I think young singers, especially when they have like a talent, usually the thing that makes them recognizable as a talented young singer is being able to sing coloratura or mm -hmm. sing high notes or sing low. And yeah. so people start with their strengths. Right, exactly. But they don't develop the hard part of the voice, which is really the middle. Exactly. And you need that because that's got to carry you up into the top. Yeah. Um, at least in my, in my opinion. So that's what my teacher focused on and that's what's helped me throughout today. So, so to 
finish up here, um, favorite singers, people that you listened to growing up, people whose recordings you cherish, mm. uh, even for style, if not for their voice, mm-hmm. you know? So, people that I admire, uh, that's a lot of people, but um, that I tend to go to um, would be Shirley Verrett, who I also had the privilege of being her student before she passed away mm-hmm. at Ann Arbor. If I can get through this without crying, because yeah. I miss her dearly, but there's just something about Shirley Verrett that, um, I mean, anybody who watches her on stage, you can see it on YouTube, or you listen to her. Oh, she that just, judgment scene, that I get a judgment scene. Oh, <laughs> she just had this way of grabbing you before she even opened her mouth, and that was something I greatly admired about her, is that she was immediately in character the moment she stepped out on stage, and you can feel that and see that even listening to a recording you just know it's going to be amazing and you can feel everything that she's feeling so she's um someone i greatly admired and looked up to um even still today for for many of my um things that i do now i love kathleen battle uh the way she's able to just pierce through (laughs) with this incredible tone quality i mean she's one of the best adinas i've ever heard in my life (laughs) Um, just everything is just precise, like with the with the languages and um, her character and her voice is light, but she can cut through anything. You know, I the first time she was the first artist that I saw the lyric um, when she was in recital that kind of piqued my interest in in opera. Yeah. Um, and, just, and she was great on stage. I think she gets yeah, credit she's for it. Gorgeous. Like a, she's she gorgeous. was just so like she's delightful on you know? stage. You know, just totally in the character. Um, and, and never compromised her voice either, which I think is hard, you know. So she was able to do that. Um, I love Renee Fleming. I just, you know, I love her voice. I, I sometimes um, uh, a lot of the music that I choose to sing, you know, is stuff that I've heard her do. And I just feel like, you know, everything she does is incredible. I love Jesse Norman um, for similar reasons to Verrett and Miss um, Battle. Just her, the way she's able to command the languages, you know, um, and and grab people with this incredible instrument. Lantine can't go without saying Miss Miss no. Price is about yeah. on Miss Price. <laughs> have you met Lantine Price? <laughs> I have not. Yeah. My goodness, but I would love to if I ever am <laughs> able to. That would be amazing. But um, Domingo, I love Pavarotti. Um, Jose Carreras. I love I love the three tenors. Yeah, my mom is an opera. Because the people we grew up listening to, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, I have to give credit to that because um, that's my mom was the big opera fanatic. I had no idea that I would be singing opera, so I grew up listening to these artists and and I appreciated them. Um, and and today, Kiri Takanwa, another wonderful artist that I love watching, just how she just how her mouth like it seems like it never really moves, but these sounds mm. are just incredible yeah. like how is she doing that yeah. without contorting her face and, and moving her jaw so much it's just like a a, a lesson a master class in technique right there it's just watching her sing so yeah but I'm so glad I was able to talk to you and this will be a great Same. introduction to some people who might not have heard you sing and are looking forward to hearing your Liu in a couple thank of days you. Um, yeah thank you so much and um, we'll see you at the Lyric yay thank you <laughs> Janai Berger, our guest on Opera Box Score, courtesy of Oliver Camacho. Thanks for talking to her, Oliver. What a gal. I was, I was so happy to do it. Yeah, yeah. She's a total, she's a total star. And um, yeah, 
go see the production. You've got till the end of January, right? So now we've had basically every type of star on our show. We need now, like, I guess it's just like Joyce or Renee to like complete. <laughs> just put us right over roster. the edge. Yeah, icing on the like, cake. Yeah, we've had Matthew Polanzani. We've had Weston Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jay Hunter Morris. I mean, <laughs> have we had a really big bass on our show? Uh, we uh, had DeAndre um, back in the day, like yeah, the, in yeah. season one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, hey, after the break, it's the two-minute drill. All your headlines from the past week in Opera Land. Stick around for our hot takes on them. This is Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land. Tenor Lawrence Brownlee in Opera Philadelphia, where he's an artistic advisor, have commissioned a new song cycle called Cycles of My Being, composed by the pianist Taishan Sori. Quote, the idea started with the injustices we see on a daily basis, said Brownlee to the London Guardian. We've summed it up as being about black male subjectivity, what it means to be an African-American man living in America today. The Tasuke Pueblo Nation has announced plans to build a casino and later a hotel on vacant tribal land adjacent to the Santa Fe Opera. Unknown is what effect traffic, noise, and light from the development will have on the open-air summertime opera. Quote, our concern is simply preserving the unique setting of the opera, the general director of Santa Fe, Charles McKay, said. Soprano Leontine Price, who retired from singing 20 years ago, has become an unlikely movie star. According to the New York Times, she steals the show in Susan Fremke's new documentary, The Opera House, which tells the saga of the building and inauguration of the Metropolitan Opera House at Lincoln Center. At the foot of the Royal Opera House memo instructing singers on how and when to appear for curtain calls, a new advisory has appeared in bold lettering, and it says, quote, Please note, it is house policy to request that singers do not applaud each other on stage. Thank you. End quote. You can discuss that amongst yourselves. Jessica Jacob and Zachary Townsend mended the San Francisco Opera. She's a member of the Opera's Orpheus Society, which is a community of 21 to 40-year-old supporters. He's a member of the San Francisco Symphony's Board of Governors, and last May, they got married on the War Memorial Opera House's stage with the set from Rigoletto as the backdrop. On this day, birthdays of German conductor Hans Bülow and stage director Elijah Mashinsky. 
the deaths of tenor Richard Tucker and composer Michael Tippett, and today was also the anniversary of a host of first performances, including works by Handel, that's Almira and Ariodante, L'Engano Felice by Rossini, Katerina Ismailova by Shostakovich, and of course, don't forget Oxer, Ray Dormus by Antonio Salieri. That is the two-minute drill. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest and Oliver the Man Camacho. Oh, he's the man, all right. It's Oliver Camacho sitting to my right in the studio here in Evanston. Sitting to my left, my other man, Weston Williams. Weston Williams. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to it's think a of a man it. sandwich here. A... Well, it is a bit. Yes, I feel yeah. like the... I don't know. You're the Jew in the middle. So. I'm the and I'm the Jew in the middle. <laughs> Man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I wouldn't give my nickels to anybody because I'm a Jew, right? Uh, all right, Weston, you're our guest. Mm-hmm. What do you want to talk about first in our two minute? Oh man, I don't even know. Uh, I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Santa Fe Opera Casino, <laughs> Opera and Casino. I think there's an opportunity to merge them together. It's an opera casino. Put a little uh, little slot machines behind every seat. You know, uh, I think it's awful. I really, I feel viscerally I bad thinking about. it. Have you ever been to Santa Fe? I have not. Um, Do we? I, I mean, the, the argument is that the casino with its like light. And possibly sound might create, uh, you know, pollution, sound pollution and light pollution for the atmosphere. The whole point of Santa Fe Opera, the outdoor opera theater, is that there is this vista behind the mm-hmm. stage that mm-hmm. you that you look at. And the sun sets, some crystalline clear sunset in Santa Fe. And the potential for that to be spoilt, as Oliver says, by this uh, monstrosity is extremely high. It just feels to me like the entire state of Florida, you know? You go down there, you're like, oh, beautiful swamps with a condo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ugh, ugh, yeah. Ugh. Don't uh, like Charles it. McKay saying, quote, our concern is simply preserving the unique setting of the opera. That's, a, that's taking the moral high ground here. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how this one's going to. So I have a bone to pick. For, uh, you included this. Uh, Who's you, by the way? George Cedarquist. Okay, thanks. George. Uh, George included this story about Covent Garden, do not applaud uh, during the curtain call. Yeah. Where is that story from? Uh, your mom. <laughs> it's from <laughs> Slip Disc. <laughs> and all you have to do is just go like a little bit into the comment section to see that that is not a new announcement. That I, didn't, is like, say, I didn't say it was new. Okay, but the article <laughs> does. Or d- didn't you say it was new? Uh, There's nothing new about uh, it. Call us, call us if uh, it would, to tell us what George said during the two minutes. No, I, I, I did actually. Uh, okay, I, I did yeah. call it a new advisory. So yeah. mm. no, it's not stand, new stand yeah. corrected. Stand but that's what you get for slip disc. And instead, you took off of the roster because we didn't have enough time. That nice little puff piece that Anthony Tomasini wrote about the Tosca with Maria Callas. Buddy, is- uh, no, no, hear me out. We're going to do that next week, and we're going to give it the. Airtime it deserves. Oh, there's so oh, many. Yeah. We always say that. that we're going to push the story. It's a nice weekend. Never. This time back. I mean it. Oliver. I just thought that. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Anthony Tomasini's writing generally, but I thought that it was a really nice thing to give to New York Times readers this kind of like inside a recording. It feels very like this is how you learn about opera. Like somebody who's listened to opera their whole lives and written about it, play some clips, you know. And like it's great that we have the internet now and you can like have an interactive article and it has sound clips from the famous recording in 1953. 
Maria Callas. It was a nice thing that he did for our Christmas gift. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna Hanukkah listen gift. to it next week. So so stick around for that, Oliver. Let okay. me ask you a question yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get married, mm. would you do it on the stage of lyric <laughs> opera? Of I want to get married on the uh, on the courts of Wimbledon. That's okay. So you've already picked. Yeah, sort of. Mm. Yeah, except I don't play tennis, and I haven't found yet somebody who has a membership at Wimbledon. So. New balls, please. Well, that's, yeah. that's 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 the dream for the boyfriend, right? For someone who has a tennis membership. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. I just I don't know. I mean, I understand the connection here. Uh, this of this lovely couple, and I'm not. Who am I to hate on someone else's wedding? That's yeah. not what I'm here to do. I, I personally. It feels too much like work to me to be married at the opera house, uh, but it sounds like they had a real personal connection to this place. So I, you know, I mean, I feel like it could have been a worse production to get married in front of, you know, and there, <laughs> there could it could have been Votsek. It could yes. have been it could have yeah. been, you know, it yes. could have been a mess, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah Bluebeard's I, Castle. Oh, dude, definitely I would not get one you don't want to get. OK, uh, well. we have two different opinions on that. Okay. I respect your okay, opinion, fair enough, but fair I'm going to go with. Yeah, fair enough. still, mm-hmm. I don't think that Rigoletto is necessarily a, a great omen for your. <laughs> That's true. Uh, at Opera Box Girl on Twitter, tell us what opera set you would <laughs> not want to get married. I on. think that's actually the set that we also had. The set design we had at the Lyric Opera. Well, Rigoletto, it's just a little rapey. A little just, rapey, just a pinch, murdery too. Yeah, you know, not unlike Vatsak. And yeah. also, it doesn't do much for for jesters too. I think it's anti-jester. It's extremely yeah. anti-comedic. Uh, yeah. Men of the medieval period. Yeah. Oh, which is me. Anti-jesterism. Oh, I could never get married in front of Rigoletto. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you going to see this uh, Leontine Price flick? I'm, I'm, I'm so Oliver? mad about it because the screenings in Chicago, by the way, for those of you who don't know, there is a documentary about the lyric opera about the opening of the new Met uh, with the Anthony and Cleopatra show with Samuel Barber's Anthony and Cleopatra. And uh, the screenings in Chicago, I know our audience is all over the world, but... The screenings in Chicago are this coming Saturday and next Wednesday. And I am working both times that it's playing. So take a long lunch. So I have to wait for it to come out on, like, I don't know, Amazon Prime. I don't know what streaming service is going to get it. but um, Waiting for it on 4K. On 4K? Yeah. Well, maybe you don't need to see it on the big screen. You I know? do. I, I, remember, I remember when this teaser came out during an HD broadcast, and I remember seeing Lansing and Price singing... Like as a ninety-year-old woman, whatever, yeah. Anthony Cleopatra, I got so excited. What is this? And this is it. Finally, it's here, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I love Lansing Price so much, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to wait until it streams. So that's cool. Is this something that's on your uh, oh, to-do list? So. It's, it's definitely the Star Wars: The Last Jedi of the yeah. opera world. I think yeah. at yeah. the moment. Yeah, it's better than Cats. I love this project by Lawrence Brownlee. I, I feel like this almost demands a, a whole separate segment. And hey, it is coming to Chicago. I knew nothing about oh, it. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. I I failed to add that it's coming to um, Lyric Opera of Chicago. The Lyric Unlimited, probably. Yeah. Exactly, and Carnegie um. Hall as well. I don't know which one is first. I've been getting the emails about it from Lyric. I, I ignored them a little bit. I <laughs> admit, but now my interest is peaked. Hmm. It is P I Q U E D. I see that. Yeah. Well, I love, I, I mean, for awesome. those of you who are interested in, in this uh, and don't live in a city where it's playing, uh, I do recommend you go check out this article in The Guardian, which I think was just published today. I love the setup to this article talking about how the standard uh, art song repertoire, recital repertoire, has very little to do with people of color. 
Mm. Um, I, I have to agree with it. I mean, Schubert's Schoener Miller, and I mean, a lot of these songs have universal themes, but it's true. How do we expect, you know, our audiences to relate to some, some of the classic canon of uh, art song literature, yeah. which has so many levels of remove, you know, from what, what people are used to now. I think you could still affect an audience with that, but I feel like you have to have a little bit more of a learned audience. It's not as immediate as opera or as something in the native language of your audience, you know. The article is really well written. It'll be on our website, operaboxscore.com. Definitely Cycles check of it my out. being. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's cool. I mean, phenomenal singer. Absolutely. He has two kids, by the way. Does he? Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. And one of his uh, kids is on the autistic spectrum, I believe. That's correct, yes. Um, he's uh, a big advocate. Right, yeah. Um, for Maybe he's the autism. Oprah of opera. Oh, he could be the Oprah of hmm. opera. How yeah. about that? Yeah. That is going to be the lingering question of this show, yeah. is, is who is the Oprah of the opera it's so much well, fun to say. It, yeah. That article, I'll just I'll finish this parting shot before we wrap it up, is that Lawrence Brownlee is on the road nine months of the year. That just makes me sick to my stomach. I don't, I don't mm. know how that guy does it. Don't know how he does it. All right, gentlemen, we are going to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Oh, it went fast. It always goes fast. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, Weston. Oh, thank you very much. I had a blast. I have so many good calls. we got to get to them. Go. First of all, to keep it sporty, Matt Nagy, the new Bears coach, very doable. Uh, Next, um, (laughs) I am am singing in a recital this Friday at the Fine Arts Building, the Piano Forte. Oh, no, what is it called? The Fine Arts Building Music. Scholarship Institute. Ah, it's this <laughs> Friday. It's at the Fine Arts Building in Chicago. I'm part of a joint recital. And you want to hear me sing and, and tear me apart? Please come. I welcome that. And uh, lastly, um, Haymarket Opera Company, our local broke opera company here in Chicago. Mm. Uh, applications are now open for their summer opera uh, project. Uh, you get to study with Drew Minter, who is my mentor, and work with Craig Trumpeter uh, and Italian coach Alessandro Visconti. It's in June. Uh, it's a great program. Uh, I heard some really high-level young singers It's a last great year. roster of teachers yeah. as well. Uh, so check it out, Haymarket Opera Company summer program. If you are in the college age or slightly older, they're looking to do something this summer. It's a short program, but it's excellent. Uh, Georgia leading Alabama 20 to 7. Oh, man. All right, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box. Score, be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For our guests, Weston Williams and Janai Brueger, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as one of your New Year's resolutions. We're back on Monday, January 15th at 9 p.m. Central with more interviews new segments, and our hot takes on everything opera-related. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment. 